I had one client that was successful in, in basically getting language approved that said, one, if, if the government shutdowns the uh, interior, the drive-through and curbside pickup for, for two consecutive months, and Starbucks is able to prove that store sales have dropped by 40% compared to the last year's previous average, then they'll, they'll reduce rent by 40%. And it's, it's really going to be a deal by deal basis. It's not going to be the same for everyone, but getting rid of that termination clause is the main thing. Welcome to the CRE Project Podcast, where investors, developers, brokers, and real estate entrepreneurs join together to grow, build, and execute on experience and strategies within the commercial real estate industry. We sit down with the top pros and leaders within the commercial real estate field and gain knowledge and insight from their success. We're glad you're here and look forward to connecting with you. You can find the CRE Project on all major podcast platforms, along with YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey listeners, welcome to today's show. On the show, we have and welcome Mark Rubel and Zach House with the NetLease Advisory Group. Uh, Mark is the co-founder of the NetLease Advisory Group and has been a top producing agent with Marcus and Milchap, and he has successfully closed over 1,100 properties in excess of $3.5 billion in 46 different states. Uh, Zach is part of the NetLease Advisory Group's team as well um, and has been involved in over 750 transactions and $2.5 billion worth of sales volume. So two very, very knowledgeable heavy hitters on today's show, giving us uh, really valuable uh, and insightful uh, information as it relates to the sing- single tenant net lease space and what's going on uh, during that space uh, through COVID. So um, definitely a valuable show. We greatly uh, appreciate their time and learned a lot and we know you will too. Here we go. Mark, Zach, thanks so much for being with us today on the CRE Project. Stoked to have both you guys. So thanks for taking the time. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Clyde. So um, uh, let's dive right in. We've given the listeners kind of, you know, a background on who you guys are. Obviously, you know, real, real heavy hitters uh, in the single tenant net lease space, uh, both well-established brokers with, with Marcus and Milchap. You know, let's let's dive in here. I mean, we're right in the heart of COVID right now, and everyone in the real estate field seems to just be going in in, in different ways. And there's not really a whole lot of predictability. And you guys uh, specializing in an asset class that offers a level of predictability to a lot of different investors. Um, we kind of wanted to just get you on the show and just kind of get a, a state of the state of the asset, if you will, and, you know, just kind of fill our audience in. I mean, what what's going on out there right now in the single tenant net lease space? What are you guys seeing? I'll, I'll take a stab at that first. Um, 
Right now, the we've been fortunate. Um, we still have a, a, a marketplace that's transacting. Um, you know, starting back in March when this all happened, we probably lost about 20, 25% of our escrows. Um, since then, that, that cancellation rate due to coronavirus has slowly dwindled. Um, we still have plenty of issues that we're dealing with due to coronavirus. But for the most part, I would say we're probably, we're, we're not drastically far off where we would have been um, otherwise. Uh, but mainly all the interest has been in, and this sounds cliche at this point, but essential use um, properties with term and properties in core markets. Um, the deals in tertiary markets or deals that don't have the right credit or that haven't been essential use, obviously like gyms, daycares, sit down restaurants, those have been very tough to move. Um, but fortunately, there's been enough product out there that is outside of that categories as brokers that we're able to try to work and put deals together. Um, so we've, we, and the other thing is just the 1031 activity um, was so, I mean, it was, there was so many 1031s going on out there in the marketplace through the first quarter and even the beginning of the second quarter that we've benefited from those exchanges that had to occur. Um, you know, there's this July 15th cutoff date that everyone's talked about in the, in the marketplace where exchanges will, the, the IRS extended exchanges to July 15th. And so after that date, you know, the theory is, oh, well, all activity will drop off. We, we do not believe that's going to be the case. I mean, we think it's going to be a little, uh, we're going to see potentially a drop off, but there, there's still a lot of money on the sidelines that's starting to come back to deals, um, starting to see non-1031 buyers want to want to buy property right now. So that's kind of exciting, even though um, we still have plenty of challenges that we're going to face. Yeah, I'm curious how, I mean, how has a, how have the buyers, how, how has their behavior changed over this whole thing? I mean, are people more timid? Are they being um, more invasive on their due diligence? I mean, are they studying property more? Are they changing the type of assets that they're going after? I mean, what are you kind of seeing as it relates to, you know, buyer behavior? I can take that. Um... Yeah, I mean, in terms of buyer behavior, it's it's really there. They've just gotten a lot pickier. It's it's the quality of the asset has gotten significantly more important than we've seen in the past. Like if we're looking at six to twelve months back, you know, we're we're selling franchise credit at virtually the same cap rates as we would be selling corporate credit. You know, you got these ten to 50 unit franchisees for, for Burger King and, and Arby's and all these other products that we'd previously been selling extremely aggressively. I think in over the past several months, we've seen buyers get a lot more picky looking specifically for corporate credit and, and kind of like Mark talked about, you know, it's, it's got to be more essential use. They're, they're not really touching gyms. They're not touching sit down restaurants right now for the most part. Um, so it's really just about the quality assets and, and we've seen the majority of demand move to, to that sector, just buyers looking for security. Have you guys, have you guys seen any flexibility yet? And if not, when do you predict some flexibility on the seller side in the event that you do own a non-essential type of asset like a gym? 
Su surprisingly, uh, we really haven't seen a lot of flexibility yet on pricing. Now, that's just a general statement. Yeah. Um, the pricing is held very well with all the things we're talking about, you know, the credit, the essential use. So pricing's held very well, very well. No, no real change. Um, with respect to these gyms, uh, daycare, some casual sit-down restaurants, those categories, the non-essential use, even, even some of these like big box dry goods stores that really don't serve a purpose that's needed. Um, there just hasn't really been many transacted. And so it's just like literally been shut off. So when things get picked back up, you know, the question will be, well, what happened to the, the pricing on those? Like, is it off 50 basis points? Is it off a hundred? Um, it's to be determined, but certainly one would think there's going to have to be some some trade-off on those assets for anyone to really actually want to take the risk to buy one. What I mean, no crystal ball, but what do you predict? Um, I think that okay, my crystal ball, you know, is <laughs> that the, the 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 core market deals, the major MSAs, the credit, the the deals with lease term, all the the same old things. I don't think there's going to be much movement on those. I just don't see it happening with rates the way they are and the security that those, those investments offer. I just don't see it. I, I, I mean, I, so, some of our clients think that cap rates on that product will compress. I don't know that we're in that boat, but I, but we're probably just in the neutral boat the, the as is boat. As far as um, when things come back for those non-essential uses, um, it might, it might take till fourth quarter when there's maybe, you know, the elections out of the way, there's a, there's a, 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 a antibody or a, a, a vaccine vaccine um, that would cause those to be more desirable. So, so you, I'm just curious. So you said, and you believe that there will not be compression and cap rates on essential product. Um, as far as compression, um, I don't know that I, I don't know that I necessarily see it, um, but, but, they're, but they're already at very compressed level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're at January pricing compared, you know, pricing now for those deals is like it was in January. So yeah. we're, I feel, and I feel like in January, we are already pretty much at a very, very heavy compressed cap rate environment. Yeah. What about new construction, guys? Have, have you seen <clears throat> new starts continue or is there a delay? And if you think there's going to be some type of bottleneck and new opportunities, it seems like that may lead to some cap rate compression if there's less inventory out there for investors to, to uh, choose over. Um, are, are bankers still lending? Have you seen construction still continue or is that stalled out at all in your market? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's 50, 50, you know, there's, there's certain retailers obviously that are pressing the pause button on a couple things. There, some of them are pressing the pause button on even looking at sites in general right now. Um, others are just going down the road and, and not signing new leases. That's, that's where a majority of them have been at over the past few months. You know, they'll, they'll talk with their developers. They'll basically get everything teed up but they're not signing on the dotted line. Um, and then you have the, th the third segment of that, which is actually starting to move dirt and, and you know, 
pushing back opening timeframes. And, you know, I was talking with the client I'm, I'm working with that's um, got a, a first watch restaurant. And that's a Southeast concept that does, you know, they're, they're a diner. And they've, they've pushed, pushed back their opening date by six months to try to give them, you know, a, a better head start. You know, nobody that's a sit down restaurant wants to be opening right now or, or even any time over the next few months. So I, I still don't know that I necessarily see that causing a, a cap rate compression. Um, it's just because cap rates are already so low. I mean, it, it could, we, we could be wrong about that, but um, you know, it, it certainly could affect the amount of new construction inventory that's hitting the market in the next six months to 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was curious about that because we kind of lag. Um, and I mean, candid again, locally at all connects, we're more on the, on the front line of the retail side with tours and, and everything else. And to your point, I mean, if I just had a conversation this morning, literally of a deal we're trying to get done. And the only thing honestly holding it up is the flight restriction uh, for the real estate manager to come and actually approve the site. So, and that's been delayed now for four months. So I, I think, again, we're not really gonna see the, the impact of that till you know, late next year. Have you guys had anyone, I'm curious, have you had anyone pull out of a potential acquisition in order to, to kind of save some dry powder in the event that there is a correction in the market where there could be potentially more of a value play? Have you guys seen any of that happening at all? Um, well, we have had some, some non-1031 buyers cancel on us yeah. over the last 60, 90 days, which you know, it's hard to blame them if, if a lot of them have just said exactly that, you know, I just want to keep, keep dry powder for what's to come. And that's been frustrating. Um, but we've also had a lot of calls from the investor pool saying, Hey, you know, show me opportunities and everyone thinking that there's going to be blood in the water, mm -hmm. which we just really haven't seen yet. I mean, there's certain situations you could argue have been kind of, you know, dire for the ownership or the developer needs to get out or whatever. Um, but it just, there just had, we just haven't seen a lot change. I mean, I, I think maybe in the third quarter, you'll start to see, you know, some of these uh, concepts that are going bankrupt and some, maybe some value add acquisitions be out there, but. Yeah. I think, I think we're actually an interesting spot. I mean, this is June 30th today and I was talking to, a client of mine earlier and I said, we're at an interesting point because the PPP is starting to run out for a number of folks and then unemployment is coming up here real quick along with this 1031. I mean, there's just a lot of dynamics happening in July that will, because I tell people that too. I said, as far as the distress level in the market in general, I just haven't seen it yet. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen any type of correction. No one's seeming to be in a distressed position yet. Um, when that happens, you know, everybody we've had on the show, we've had Spencer Levy with CBR. I mean, everyone that I've listened to said Q3, Q4, you're going to start to see that. But uh, I mean, even the people that are at minimal, you know, occupancy or minimal operating, I mean, they still seem like they've positioned their financials to kind of operate like this for the next, you know, six to 
12 months. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, yeah. And I mean, you look at this second wave of now states announcing new closures like Arizona, like closing gyms and restaurants now or bars. Um, and then, you know, there'll probably, there could be a second wave of rent abatement requests. You know, what, what's this whole second wave going to look like mm-hmm. is, uh, really, yeah, I, ju- I felt like just at the end of like May, beginning of June, everything was starting to reopen and it was starting to feel a lot better, but now it's like, wait a second, is this, are we going to have this happen again? I, I it's just uncharted waters. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mark, can I ask you a question? Are any of your investors concerned or following the proposed legislation in California that would give tenants the ability to renegotiate their lease or terminate should a black swan event like COVID happen again? You guys have your finger on the pulse of that at all? I don't know how much it's steam. It, it looks like it passed uh, the next hurdle and is, is moving on to the house or the Senate out there. I'm not certain, but it's, it's still in the news. Are you guys following that at all? I mean, I, we've heard about that, but not, not closely. It's not something that's come up a lot in conversation. Um, more than anything, we, we just track the apartment market in California, just because that that's a huge driver for us in the net lease space. Um, so yeah, that'll be, That'll be interesting. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, what it was it a year ago? I forget what prop proposition it was where they, you know, with the whole rent control thing. Um, and there's always something new coming out of California that yeah. will affect because <laughs> that's it's yeah. a big part of the capital pool. So and and I guess to to kind of curtail off of Gannon's question, you know, one thing that we're start starting to see uh and there's been there's been some fistfights going on negotiating wise on the lease side is you know new COVID language trying to be incorporated into these yep. leases. Have you guys had any of your clients? Have you been exposed to that at all? Are you counseling them on that, or is that still pretty pretty foreign to y'all? No, I mean we we've definitely seen that quite a bit, especially being that we work with a lot of Starbucks developers. Mm-hmm. They're 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 really the one that's laying down the hammer right now. And, and just some of the clauses that they're throwing out there in, in their new leases are, I mean, they make the deals unsellable, really. If, 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 if a developer starts accepting some of the first draft language that some of these guys are throwing out, it's, it's really not going to be good for, for a lot of us. But, you know, talking with a lot of the Starbucks developers, I, I think there's, a middle ground that can get done. And, and there's certain language I've seen that I would feel relatively comfortable with um, that kind of appeases, you know, the tenant, but also gives the landlord and, and the, really the future buyer um, peace of mind. So I, I think there's going to be a middle ground and it's, it's really going to, you know, have to be, it's going to be another negotiating point. And, and what does that look like, Zach? I mean, what, what does the middle ground look like where an asset, because again, on you guys, I mean, you're on the disposition side and on the acquisitions. I mean, where is that middle ground where there is some protection in the event something happens that the tenant has the right to terminate with a certain amount of, you know, a penalty fee or what coach a bit on that. What are you guys seeing? 
Yeah. So, so with the Starbucks example, that, that's the best example I can think of. I mean, I had one client that was successful in, in basically getting language approved that said, one, if, if the government shut down the uh, interior, the drive-through and curbside pickup for, for two consecutive months, and Starbucks is able to prove that store sales have dropped by 40% compared to the last year's previous average, then they'll, they'll reduce rent by 40%. And it's, it's really going to be a deal by deal basis. It's not going to be the same for everyone, but getting rid of that termination clause is the main thing. You, you just, you can't have that. Um, so there's going to have to be some sort of reduction and what that looks like. And, you know, basically painting a picture so that it's, I, I just don't see Starbucks ever shutting down their drive-through and curbside pickup. So I, I think that's something as brokers that we can pretty easily sell past uh, and get somebody comfortable with. Yeah. So yeah. And I'm with you. I've got another question, you know, um, the single tenant net leased asset class encompasses a lot of different things. And I think to an outside or junior broker or investor looking in, uh, you think of quick serve retail or drive through restaurants. Are you guys seeing any uh, movement towards, you know, the dock in the box concepts or financial institutions and banks or uh, any other particular arena that may be the next darling that, uh, that seems to be gaining some momentum? Um, I think to following that, I, I think what you're saying is just like, do you mean like things we've heard among retailers adapting to more of a drive-through only model, shrinking footprints, yeah, yeah, or even investor preferences, you know, if they're looking for more instant, you know, institutional investment grade opportunities, are they looking for, you know, banks that are standalone freestanding buildings on an out parcel or are they urgent cares, for example, the dental concepts, um, you know, some of the recession resistant operators like you had alluded to earlier is, yeah. is or are people still pretty strong with, with the fast food, quote unquote? I, well, it, like, I'll give you an example. Like we had a, a, a single tenant Verizon property under contract. And when this all happened, the buyer was in an exchange, so we had to buy something. And when this all happened, this is back in March, April, um, he canceled the contract and put his money into a single tenant uh, Black Rock coffee drive through So drive-through concept and a yeah. and a, also a, um, a Starbucks drive-through. So he's buying those two deals instead of this larger Verizon property because, you know, his preference is that he wants to be aligned with a like a, a retailer that has the drive-through. We, we all, always, right. We always all like the drive-through. I mean, it was, all, we all knew how valuable it was, but I think it's that much more valuable. And I think um, like we heard the other day that Denny's, is now adding, trying to add drive-throughs to all their locations, which is genius. They, they should have done that a while ago. Um, I think what you're going to see, and I'm just guessing, I've, I don't know that I've actually heard this. I think I've made it up in my mind, but it, it, it probably will happen. Is like, you, you look at Burger King, Taco Bell, uh, why do they need all that dining room space? 
I mean, they don't yeah. really need it. I, I, yeah, you know, I think I, Clayton and I had a conversation offline last week about that. It just, I, I mean, we're, we're seeing that too. Yeah, I, I have a client that literally said, I mean, obviously everything is, is traumatic that's happening out there right now, but there's always good in everything. And he said that there's actually been a lot of good that's come out of this. And they're a drive-through concept. And he said that our prototype is, is made to serve a dining room where the majority of our business does not happen. And even more so now with, with COVID. So they're changing their whole prototype footprint to serve the drive-through window because that's where the majority of their business is. So yeah. to your point, it's going to be interesting to see how prototypes, you know, morph and how retailers pivot to cater more towards. A or if the dining room even ceases to exist. Yep. I will see. I it's yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I think, I think the other thing is like just in the, in a lot of these restaurant chains, we're kind of already getting this is just the drive up, uh, you know, the pickup window, but I think pickup windows now are, I mean, not everyone wants to sit in a drive through lane, but if you're going to order ahead, just having you still, you're still going to need parking and you're still going to need, you know, a big kitchen, but just pickup windows. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's yeah. What are what are some of the what what are some of the key characteristics? And this isn't necessarily to COVID, uh, but just in general that investors. What are the most important uh, deal characteristics that they're really scrutinizing when underwriting or or looking at a single tenant net lease asset? I mean, what what's kind of the the tiers? Is it the term that's the most important? Is it the rent to revenue that's the most important? Is it the financials of the overall corporate I know it's probably all the above but typically what do you guys see in your leases that that demand the highest price and the you know for the asset yeah I, I think it comes back to security being the, the most important thing and the, and the second being ease of ownership majority of the people that we're selling to oftentimes aren't involved in this sector before we put them into a deal. Like last year, 60% of our buyers were exchange buyers and, and about 35% of that, or excuse me, 53% of that were coming out of apartments into net lease for, for pretty much the first time. And so, so that means that there's a couple things that they're gonna have a preference on is one, the absolute triple net lease structure you know, they, uh, in many cases, they want as minimal landlord responsibilities as possible. Um, so to read through the, the landlord and, and tenant obligations and, and understand that, you know, once you purchase this thing, you really don't have to do anything is, is important to a lot of folks. Um, and there's tenants that just won't do it, obviously, like Starbucks and a lot of the cell phone guys and a lot of the dental users won't do it. But that's important term is obviously important you know the longer the term the better so 15 20 occasionally 25 years on the lease um the credit of the tenant of course um you know is obviously a, a huge aspect and then more in recent years and and especially this year uh the actual real estate itself has become I, I think maybe the top priority. That, that's what I was um, going to ask is how often does the actual fundamentals of the property, because oftentimes yeah. we'll see these portfolios come out of like Dollar General, for example. And I mean, a lot of them are 
in the middle, um, quite literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, right. And it, you know, and you still see those trade for a pretty low cap rate. So I'm, I'm curious if, you know, if that's kind of shifted a little bit to where it's come down to really the fundamentals of the underlying real estate, adding to that security that you've kind of talked about. Uh, and I'll give you an example on that. So I was, I've been working with this trade buyer who sold a small apartment building in California. Um, he had put a family dollar under a letter of intent and it was in a tertiary market in Arizona. I think it was a family dollar. Um, and then we also have a, 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 a human being coffee drive through that we had listed, but it was a really good piece of property in the Phoenix, in Phoenix proper. So on one hand, you have the family dollar, which is not the best underlying piece of real estate. And then meanwhile, you have a great piece of real estate, but you have, uh, you know, an 800 square foot kiosk drive through only coffee store. And I think the rent was big. It was big, like 140 a year. Mm. And so fundamentally, you're probably not going to replace that rent per se in the if, if anything ever happened. Um, and so he was debating the pros and cons and he ultimately went with the better piece of real estate, even though the fundamentals of the rent were out of check or not really in, in check. But so, um, but once again, the location won, yeah. if you will. Critical. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Great. How, uh, I'm curious how, how, because I'm, you guys have mentioned it even a couple times on this call, and this is kind of uh, COVID related to a certain extent. But how big of an influence do do core markets play on the on the overall nation when it comes to single tenant net lease investment? I mean, we see a lot of money in New Mexico coming from California. Um, you know, Phoenix, coast, Dallas, both, both sides, you know, co exactly both on the coast, you know, where obviously cap rates have been, you know, sub five in some circumstances and they're chasing yield. I mean, do you guys think that in the event that uh, California, you know, has further restrictions or Texas does kind of like literally June 30th, here we are, they just went into another wave of restrictions. Do you guys anticipate that having any type of impact on the overall national platform with single tenant at least assets or no? I mean, it, it certainly could. Um, like you said, I mean, a, a big portion of our buyers are coming out of those big markets. Um, so it really just depends on like, you know, our business is, is heavy 1031 transactions. So it really just depends on those front end transactions taking place or not. If, if any new restrictions or laws that get put into place in, in California and New York start to slow down the, the transaction velocity, which, which obviously it has over the past few months, that's going to affect us, you know, three to six months down the road when, you know, we're, we're looking for a pool of 1031 buyers. Um, but yes, I mean, th those markets are everything. I mean, for, for us, look, looking at the source of, of our buyers, the top four states make up 60% of, of our buyer pool. Wow. California is yeah, California's 34%, New York 10%, and Florida and Texas are, are both 7%. So that's 58% of our, our buyers are coming out of those four, four states. Huh. Yeah. Do you, uh, this is an interesting question, with the stock market performing the way that it is, um, 
do you guys see anybody pulling out of the stock market right now and transitioning into single tenant at least assets or is that still pretty quiet um i i mean i, I would say that it, what I'm I, I continually hear investors say they hate the stock market. Now, <laughs> yeah. you know, obviously they're talking to a real estate broker. Yeah, yeah, we, I, I hate it. I um, obviously they're talking to a real estate guy, a real estate broker. So there's a reason they're talking to me. But um, I, I might have mentioned this earlier. Like we're starting to see a little bit of activity coming from those non-trade buyers that have just been sitting there. They're flush with cash because let's face it, the economy, a lot of people are flush with cash still. I mean, the, the economy has been very good to everyone the last few years. And those guys um, that say they're in a non 1031, but they're interested in something. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in money markets. Um, I, I don't really get it. We don't necessarily get into the details of what stocks they sold, but um, certainly that's what we're competing against. Yeah, I, I, we agree. And I think it's safe to say Clayton and I are all in, right, on real estate yeah. and uh, not in the stock market. I mean, how can you trust an industry where there's high frequency trading and you're just consistently getting margins siphoned off the top? I, mean, <laughs> I don't understand it. Like Warren Buffett says, you know, stick in the area you understand. So yeah. Um, can I ask you guys another quick question, just kind of changing the topic just a, a little bit? Uh, so as a developer, for example, or even from the investor side, when is the opportune time to buy an asset? So oftentimes as a developer, you're going through your entitlement process, you're getting everything teed up, and maybe you're in a position to pre-sell an asset, but you still have some exposure and some risk as you're getting up and until delivery date, you're turning the property over to the tenants, they eventually get to do their improvements and then there's rent commencement and then and then the clock is ticking and they're paying rent so along that whole spectrum of time is it fair to suppose that the 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 best time to buy an investment or sell an investment is on the day that rent commences or is there a different area or, or philosophy that you coach your clients on yeah, everybody's different on this. And, and, you know, there's two schools of thought. And, and one is that you just wait until it's finished. You got a pretty finished product. Pictures look a little bit better than a, a construction project. But you really got to think about the timing and, you know, capitalizing on the market when it's there. So, so naturally, a lot of our business is, is pre-construction. And, and um, our rule of thumb is, we try to be within a four month window from the estimated rent commencement date. Okay. So if your rent commencement is December 1st, we're going to say, all right, let's, let's hit the ground running August 1st, but ideally no sooner than that. And the reason for that is again, just the, the 1031 pool, you know, if you go out any further than that and you're, you're really going to lose that entire pool because they're, they're going to get nervous that you're not going to be able to hit the time frames. And as much right. as everybody likes to, to talk about closing pre-construction, we really don't see that. We, we see deals teed up all the time, but in terms of actually closing pre-construction, we, we typically don't see it. A lot of times it's everybody wants the clean estoppel. 
they want to see them paying rent and, and open for business. And, and a lot of times they'll close that next day, basically. Gotcha. What, uh, I'm curious and, and we'll, we'll work at wrap, wrapping this up. You guys have been gracious with your time, but you know, going into the next few months, obviously there's a lot of deals that are transacting there right now. And there's a lot of developers navigating situations that haven't necessarily been traveled before. What would you guys count, counsel, you know, a lot of developers that may be in the heat of a negotiation right now and a tenant does hit them up on certain termination language. At what point from a term standpoint does an asset become not, not useless by any means, but significantly discounted? Because I can only predict, again, being on our side of the business, that there's going to be a lot of conversations regarding early terminations and kickout clauses, which I know you guys deal with to a certain extent. What is the minimum amount of years? Obviously, having no termination is a preference, but if, if the tenant insists on it and insists on a kickout clause, I mean, what is the minimum amount of years that a, a developer should really fight for in order to have that property trade out on, on the open market? So, I mean, I'll use the Starbucks example. You know, they, they traditionally for a while, like on some of the, even on, this is going back a while, some of their 10 year leases, they wanted a five year kick out and that was devastating. And then they moved it to a seven year kick out and the properties were, were marketable under those circumstances, but you, you were still going to get a discount versus a 10 year lease. Um, 10 years really is like the, the minimum threshold in the marketplace. We have investors say to us all the time, don't show me anything with less than 10 years left on the lease. Just don't show me anything like that. Um, so, so really it's 10 years. I mean, when you're dealing with a tenant that only signs a 10 year lease, it's just very challenging. Um, you don't have a lot to work with. Well, and maybe that, again, that comes into a play where the underlying fundamentals of the real estate are all that more important. Yeah. Know? I mean, if, if it's obviously, yeah, if it's an A piece of property, um, you know, an investor is not going to get choked up on a seven year termination, right? Now that said, if the rent, even if it's an A piece of property and the rent, but the rents, you know, $50 a foot when the market's 35, you know, that then becomes another challenge that you have to overcome. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, on, and on the last deal we did, you know, we had a tenant national credit retailer that wanted an opportunity to vacate, but there was a significant fee to do so. And uh, if you just looked at it on a cash flow basis, it was essentially equivalent to a, a nine and a half year lease instead of a 10 year lease. So there was some type of discount there, but it was still stitched them in pretty significantly. Right. So another, yeah, we had an example of that on a single tenant medical deal where I think there was a seven year, maybe it was like a six year right to terminate. But when you added in the penalty plus like the unamortized portion of fees and TIs, it, it, it almost equated to a nine year lease. So yeah. not as painful, not as painful. Right. right. For sure. So, so to wrap it up and again, thanks for being here guys. Greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, to close out, just just give us, you know, a brief summary, uh, but somewhat extensive to a certain extent of where you guys kind of see the single tenant net lease market, 
going in the next year to two years? And, and how are you counseling your clients that, that typically ask that question right now? What are you telling them? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear Mark's answer too, but I, I, I mean, I think it's probably going to be a little bit more of the same. I mean, I think we're going to continue to see the quality rise to the top and people are, are going to pay a premium for that. In my opinion, I, I think for the right asset, we're, we're probably not going to see a whole lot of shift. I think for those uses that have been struggling the most right now, maybe, maybe we start to see a shift, but at the same time I could see, you know, two, three years from now, if, if things all go back to normal and there, there is a vaccine in place, um, you know, maybe, maybe we go back to the same sort of pricing scenarios that we did see on gyms and daycare facilities and all that, because at the end of the day, all, all of those concepts are also the ones that are Amazon proof, right? Mm -hmm. So you got two kind of different perspectives there. And um, I, I just don't see things changing that much, personally. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I tend to be, uh, I, I'm always expecting the worst with most things, right? And I, I'm never really satisfied with just things, right? Like, I'm, I, I call me negative on, on certain instances, but I, I actually feel like our product type is going to be just fine. I mean, I, I and, and again, I, I, I preface this by saying, like, I am a, a, a sandbagger, usually, like, I, I just think, though, that we're going to be I think we're going to be just fine. I mean, we're going to have some blips probably. I mean, third quarter will be weird. Um, I mean, the election will dictate a lot. Um, the, the, the vaccine will dictate a lot. I mean, there, there's, there's going to be these things that happen, but I do think there will, we'll continue to see velocity. I think we're, we're going to continue to, and, and you know, you guys are on the, the development side, but I think, I think there's going to be always going to be groups that want to do new deals. I mean, I remember back in, you know, I, I, I was doing the same thing back in 08, 09, 10. And there still was transactions to be had. I mean, yes, the pricing took up, it plummeted, but there was still, there were still plenty of transactions that, that were to be had in, in our space. Now the apartment guys in my office didn't make a check for like 18 months. Um, I don't think that's going to be, I, I don't think it's, it's near the, the dire circumstances we were in then. Um, so we, we've got our head down. I mean, we're just going to continue to operate as we have. Um, we're trying to be more informative with clients and trying to offer opinion if it's wanted. Not everyone, want, everyone has wild different opinions, but I think two, three years down the road here, we've got, we've got some runway. It, it might be some turbulence for sure, but we're, we're pretty optimistic. Yeah. I mean, I think I see people chasing security even more. And again, out of all the different asset classes out there, the drive-through has has prevailed through all of this. So to your point, you know, I, I see it looking pretty positive for the most part. So yeah, and I, because you are, you're in such a you're in such a not to interrupt you, Mark. Sorry, but you're in such a secure space. That's what you guys sell is security a lot of the time. So great point. Yep. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, we're not selling uh, twenty percent returns. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, well, and guys, we'll, we'll have it in the, in the show notes, but for anyone who who's listening and wants to jot it down real quick, what's the best way to reach out and get a hold of you guys or, or get on your email list or just stay in touch? Sure. So if um, I'll just give everyone our website and then they can find us on there. Um, it's just net lease advisory group.com and lease, lease is no D it's just net lease advisorygroup.com. Perfect. Well, again, guys, thanks for being here. You're, you're true pros and obviously, you know, value your insight on, on everything that's going on. So knowledge is power and, you know, obviously engaging with you guys and, and taking your temperature, no pun, uh, is something that we, we definitely want to do and provide to our audience. So thanks for being here. And again, we'll, we'll put all your information in the show notes. So if anyone out there wants to get a hold of Zach or Mark, uh, visit our website. So again, guys, thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. You guys. Thanks guys. Take care. Hey listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you feel someone within your network would benefit and learn from this podcast, please feel free to share this or any other episode with them. If you feel you have benefited from this podcast, please leave us a review on any platform where you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your support and feedback, and we look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe, stay educated.